Hi, this is Elliot Fisherman, and I'd like to welcome you to our newest podcast. This one will focus on 3D imaging and CT and geography of the GI tract, focusing on the small bowel. Starting off the talk, let's look at some of the basic concepts. The first concept, of course, is patient preparation. Typically, for our dedicated small bowel studies, we use water as a contrast agent, giving roughly 1,000 cc's over about 15 to 20 minutes, the last cup immediately before the patient gets on the table. We can use positive contrast in evaluating the small bowel, and we typically would use positive contrast, and we use Omnipeg 350, but for routine uh, detailed imaging of the small bowel, we do tend to like water as we do CT angiography. In terms of CT angiography, we're injecting about 100 to 120 cc's of contrast. We typically use Omnipeg 350, injecting at 4 cc's a second. We will reconstruct the data in two phases. Typically, we'll use arterial phase imaging, and if I was doing this on a 16-slice scanner, I would use 0.75 millimeter slice thickness reconstructed at 0.5 millimeter intervals using the uh, 0.75 millimeter detector. I typically will do a 25 second delay for arterial phase and then come back with venous phase imaging at about 60 seconds out. For GI bleeders, I might change the protocol a bit, go at 20 seconds for the first run and 40 seconds the second run. If I go from 16 to 64 slice scanners, I'll use the thinner detectors, typically 0.6 millimeters, but I'll still typically stick with the 0.75 millimeter thick sections reconstructed at 0.5 millimeters, again doing this at both the arterial and venous side. When we do the small bowel, we typically will scan from a level of the diaphragm through the pelvis. We want to get a good look at the mesenteric vessels, particularly SMA and celiac, but also IMA and some of the distal branch vessels. In terms of visualization with 3D, we use a combination of volume rendering and MIP, and here's a nice example of a coronal volume display. You very nicely can see the small bowel detail. You also see little clips near the patient's uh, distal ileum from prior surgery. Volume rendering is optimal for looking at the bowel itself. We also can change the windowing or the rendering to look at the uh, vascular map, and we'll do this. If you want to look at the vessels, MIP is also helpful, and you can see this series of MIP images, but you also see what happens with MIP. You have a good look at the vessels, but because the projection technique, the bowel looks the same density throughout, and you really can't separate bowel loops. You do see the sutures of the terminal ileum and ileocecal valve very nicely because, again, it's a projection technique, and that's a very bright structure. But routinely, we will use both techniques. It's easy enough to use. And so, for example, in this case, you can see very nicely the mesenteric branching to the jejunal vessels with MIP. And then here it is with volume. So again, going back and forth between MIP and volume indeed works very nicely in this regard. And here it is side by side. In terms of the very small vessels, I think I could show them equally well with volume or with MIP. But if you want to see the vessels at their smallest branch points, and you want to get a really global perspective, I would use the MIP because the MIP gives you that overlapping of all the individual vessels. It really makes it seem like you have more vessels that are present. But again, since we can go from volume to MIP uh, very quickly, it's really not a big issue. Another example, this was a patient who was a potential renal donor. 
we found this disease bowel which ends up being Crohn's disease you can see on these volume rendered images very nicely the detail of the abnormal bowel the focal narrowing and dilatation as well as the increased vasculature to the bowel very classy for Crohn's and here is the same patient volume and MIP together and looking only at the very distal branches the vasorecta we see them well on both volumes and MIP but one would have to agree that the MIP in this case particularly the thin slab is particularly outstanding so again use both techniques and for bowel it works nicely. There have been articles looking at the role of imaging beyond the axial plane in small bowel and here was one article from about six years ago which commented that uh, reformatting helical CT in multiple planes provided a new perspective for the evaluation of bowel obstruction and it would be helpful for characterizing site and cause of obstruction and we have found this to be true over the past many years and 3D on top of 2D only makes things better. So let's speak a little bit about small bowel obstruction. Just a few of the basic things you all know, but let me remind you that the most common causes of small bowel are adhesions, inflammatory bowel disease, small bowel tumors, and hernias. And when you look at the numbers, adhesions by far and away make up the significant proportion, 75%. If you ask the same question about 1910, which was like 100 years ago or so, then it would have been hernias. So now it's adhesions. So in saying that, most of the time we see bowel obstruction, it's not a tumor, it's not a hernia, it's adhesion. So often it's excluding the other processes that becomes important. So what do we need to do? When you're looking at suspected small bowel obstruction, what are the questions? Well, first question, does the patient indeed have small bowel obstruction or is the patient's symptoms of abdominal pain related to other conditions? If the patient does have a small bowel obstruction, is it a complete or partial obstruction? Now, if the patient has a small bowel obstruction, then we also want to determine its cause and then also determine whether or not the patient can be managed medically or needs surgical management. One of the most important questions we know about small bowel obstruction or partial small bowel obstruction or complete small bowel obstruction is the decision process, surgery versus medical management. If you choose incorrectly, unnecessarily patients will go to surgery, or if a patient should go to surgery and you don't take the patient to surgery, the morbidity and mortality rise rapidly in the face of a small bowel obstruction. Classically, there have been different ways of describing small bowel obstruction. Simple and complicated are the uh, most common categories. Simple being intermittent or partial obstruction or prolonged, complete, or high-grade obstruction. Complicated obstructions, which always mean surgery, are typically closed-loop or incarcerated obstruction or strangulation. Many patients with simple obstruction can be managed conservatively. In terms of outcome, simple obstruction has a good outcome. If you have the more complicated, then it becomes a significant issue. If you delay surgery more than 24 hours, mortality is up to 25%, while with early surgery it would be nearly 1%, and with untreated strangulation is basically 100% fatal. What do we look at with small bowel obstruction? And CT has been used for looking at small bowel disease for 25 years. 
articles by ourselves, by Megabo, by Baltazar, by Gore, by Heiken. Many articles in the early and mid-80s spoke about this. But what do we think about? Well, wall thickening over 3 millimeters is abnormal, which means if you see a wall, it's probably abnormal. We look for bowel wall enhancement, and because of uh, multi-slice CT, we do routinely see it. So things that change bowel wall enhancement, whether it's increased or decreased, is important. Abnormal position of bowel, that is a hernia or malrotation, becomes critical. And of course, changes in the mesenteric fat, whether it is nodes, an abscess, or inflammation, are indeed all critical. One of the things we also look at besides a bowel loop being dilated, over 2.5 centimeters is considered a dilated loop, is what's been referred to as a small bowel feces sign. That means there's air bubbles and intestinal content proximal to the site of bowel obstruction. And it's a good sign because usually it means pretty much complete obstruction. And it's a very good sign to point to you exactly where the obstruction is. As noted before, we look at bowel wall thickening. And of course, as just with small bowel series, you look for transitions in bowel. Now, I mentioned before about IV contrast and water. Water is a great contrast agent, particularly in the face of obstruction. Water stays in the bowel. So in this case, you can see very nicely the dilated bowel loops. We follow it downward to the ileocecal valve, and there you see an enhancing lesion, which is a carcinoma. And we can target that with a few other views. And here's why water works so nicely. Although we don't think of adenocarcinoma as a hypervascular lesion, the fact is it does enhance slightly and it does stand out very nicely against the fluid-filled bowel loops. Now, in terms of specificity, remember this case of carcinoma and look at this next case. Ends up, patient has bowel obstruction and it ends up being due to endometriosis. But look how similar the ileum looks in this case. It looks literally identical to the case before. And simply based on the CT, I would have said a small bowel tumor like an adenoCA. Every once in a while, you make the right diagnosis, but you have the uh, not exactly right answer. We mentioned 3D versus coronal. Here's a nice example of bowel obstruction. The bowel loops are dilated. You can see them nicely on the left with volume display, on the right with the coronal display. Here you can see the importance of contrast enhancement as well as fluid and bowel. And in these situations, interactivity is critical. It's important to scroll through the data sets looking for transitions. Another example, here's a patient. You can see this patient's interesting. It was several months after surgery, colectomy for colon cancer, was now getting chemotherapy. You see the bowel loops are dilated. You're worried about colon recurrence. You're worried about adhesions. Well, when you look carefully, the bowel is dilated, the walls are edematous, but you don't see a mass. And when you look at the sagittal view, what you see very nicely is the bowel wall has edema. This was radiation enteritis causing bowel obstruction. We've also seen with chemotherapy causing obstruction. But again, very nicely shown, the submucosal low-density edema we see that with Crohn's, we see that with radiation, we see that with GVH. It's a great sign of an abnormality being present. Now, in addition to looking at the uh, bowel itself, we look carefully at the vasculature. 
And it's not surprising that many cases of abdominal pain are due to abnormalities of the mesenteric vessels. These are commonly overlooked unless you're doing 3D routinely. And here's a great example of a celiac artery dissection. And here's two more views of it. Very nice focal dissection, focal dilatation. These are easy to miss on axial CT. Another example, SMA dissection. SMA dissection most commonly is associated with aortic dissection tracking into the SMA, but every once in a while you get patients with spontaneous SMA dissections. These patients will have abdominal pain, they'll have postprandial pain, suggests ulcer disease. These patients are treated usually with stents. And here's just two more views in that patient, very nicely showing you the dissection. And here's a more typical example of uh, a dissection in a patient with aortic dissection extending into the patient's SMA. Now, there are many other things in regards to the SMA, and that's what I'd like to pick up with when we come back with part two of this lecture. Thank you and have a nice day.